Welcome to this episode of Tez Podagogy. My guest today is Luke Roberts, who is currently a PhD candidate at Cambridge University looking at bullying and culture changes in school. Hello, Luke. Hello, John. So, bullying, is there an agreed definition before we get started about exactly what bullying is? Well, I think the DfE would say they have their definition of bullying, Mm -hmm. which looks at repetition, um, intentionality and imbalance of power. Mm -hmm. And the Anti-Bullying Alliance in England also uses that definition as well. I think outside of that, the Welsh government and the Scottish government may have different definitions, as well as charities tend to have slightly different definitions of bullying as well. So it is a... It's a contested area, and what we really need is either the Cambridge or Oxford Dictionary to go, this is <laughs> what bullying is, and then we will all agree it once and for all at that point. And so you, you've chosen for your, for your PhD research to look at bullying. I mean, what led you to uh, look at this area, and what specifically are you sort of investigating in that area? Um, so years ago, I used to work in local authorities around the time of the National Strategies Anti-Bullying work so was involved in schools in London in particular and looking at the amount of time and effort we spent in terms of teacher training trying to support pupils and also my own work supporting um, communities in conflict whether that was parents with the school or pupils um, what really struck me was how difficult it was to keep schools focused on this so they deal with the event as it happens Mm -hmm. but then when you say right so how do we prevent it occurring in the future um, that was a lot harder because most people say well we'll put a policy or we'll do a whole school approach mm-hmm. and so in my um, in my masters that one of the masters I looked at was how sustainable is the whole school approach in terms of addressing bullying okay. and I used a case study school so did quite an in-depth study with staff saying you know what support are you given to address bullying in schools and what came out was a really weak model and weak by what I mean, mean by weak is very fragile model which was basically dependent on two people in the school okay and if they left then it would all fall apart and you know, sort of anti-bullying champions or, or not ne- not even anti-bullying char- champions you had a deputy head who was really passionate about making sure that pupils felt safe in the school um, but then you also had like the head of behavior as well who was the two of them worked in tandem but it seemed to be kind of only those two who would take on a lot of actual incidences, whereas the rest of staff would say, well, we'll refer to them. Oh, I see, so you had like an experience deficit in the rest of staff. People used to refer bullying to these two people, so their ex- other staff's experience of dealing with bullying was, was not great. Exactly. Even though there was really strong signs that there was a culture change happening in the school, the problem became, um, through the analysis of the school, that when those two people left, which they did six months later, that's the great thing about research. You could say, ha ha, look, my research proved that you did have yeah. a fragile model. Um, doesn't help the school at all. But um, what was really interesting there was when they did leave, the culture shift started to revert back to something more punitive Okay. as well. So there is this kind of use of the term whole school approach which means we train everybody up whereas I think it's a much more complex process Mm. than that and I think the challenge for school staff in particular has been well how do we deal with that complexity because are we talking about leadership policy change culture change these are big subjects in and of themselves Mm. but they're all part of the alleged whole school approach if we're going to address bullying I think the the temptation for me was to say right can I find a more interesting or a more sustainable way mm. to address bullying? And that's where my PhD is at the moment. So with, with a whole school approach, is, that, is, that, is the belief there that you know, everyone in that school knows what bullying is and everyone in that school can deal with bullying if it arises and also try and prevent that bullying? 
but your research sort of highlighted the fact that perhaps that knowledge and uh, experience isn't as widespread as it possibly could be and prevention in particular is a problem. Absolutely, and I think the challenge for the whole school approach is it's a great implementation model, like how do we get awareness about a particular issue up and running? Whereas what my research was looking at was um, what happens five years down the road? Mm. And does that whole school approach model still work? And at that point, it doesn't seem to be that what you use as a model to implement an anti-bullying initiative isn't the same as what you need to sustain it. Okay. And it's making that distinction that's really important for staff to understand. Because particularly if you've got things like changeover in staff and you will always have a changeover in yeah. pupils, how do you make sure that those things that are most important to the culture and to the safety of everyone are sustained within school models? So I guess a lot of whole school models probably, you know, some tutor group time, uh, an assembly for New Year 7s, maybe a CPD day for staff every couple of years to account for some changes. You're saying that 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 is sort of goes towards a culture change, but actually you're not getting potentially a culture change. You're not getting a deeper structural systems change mm -hmm. through doing that. So it's a bit like, um, how can I put it? It's a bit like looking at yourself in a reflection in a window, but knowing that there's something else on the other side at the same time. Yeah. So you kind of look at yourself and you go, oh, we're doing a good job, but there's something um, deeper on the other side. Yeah. And it's about how do you help particularly um, staff recognise that because bullying is changing and it seems to be constantly changing, mm. you can't have a static model where you treat it as, well, we'll do an inset or a twilight. Mm. Because what you're really saying to staff is when a bullying incident happens, you've got a relationship dynamic that you're trying to intervene in. So as much as you've got the preventative work, which will hopefully um, reduce the prevalence of bullying, but also when those incidents actually occur, and I think this is where I'm really interested in how schools respond, when you're faced with an incident between groups of young people who are engaged in harmful, repetitive behaviour with a power imbalance, what is it that I need to do then? And a twilight or an inset, inset isn't going to prepare you for that situation. And part of that challenge is that if you've got a punitive system, you will simply punish the people that you think are doing that bad behaviour. But because bullying is a relationship dynamic, what do you do with the young person who's been targeted? Mm. How do you know it's ended? Or has it just shifted yeah. somewhere else? So this is why it is a real challenge for schools to understand that the punitive system that sometimes they're very familiar with isn't particularly helpful. I guess as well that the complexities increase because of the online element now so that you, you know physical manifestations of that bullying in the classroom are probably one small proportion of the bullying behavior and that could be online weekends overnight i mean the children have their phone on them constantly now where does the school responsibility sit there i mean if, if they've if they've stamped it out in the school environment and the bullying is taking place outside the school environment where, how far does their reach extend? Because I guess the impacts of that external bullying are still felt within the school. Absolutely. So I guess it's what better relationships with parents or? Well, in my present research, what I did was I interviewed pupils, staff and um, parents separately mm. to say, what is your responses to bullying? And the one thing that came up from both pupils and parents constantly was, we're now in a social media world. Mm -hmm. So if schools think that simply by saying we've got a, f um, a phone ban, young people aren't accessing social media, um, what you're doing is you're creating a blind spot in yeah. terms of helping them understand how to manage relationships um, healthily. But I think the second point is that if bullying is occurring within the online space, it's damaging relationships. Those relationships can be damaged in the school, on the bus home, in the community, wherever they are. 
So to what extent is it the work and support of schools to say, if we live in a community, how do we make sure everyone's having healthy relationships? Because those healthy relationships then produce the safety to learn. And so this is why it's crucial that schools start to engage in this. But at the moment, in my own research, it seems that that's not the case. And so where, when you're looking at this, the, system, the whole school systems and, and you're interviewing the teachers, do the teachers feel um, comfortable dealing with bullying? Are there, is there still a lot of um, nervousness about what they should be doing? I think part of the challenge is, goes back to your very first question, clarity about what bullying is. Mm. And so there's a distinction between what is banter, yeah. when is someone just being sensitive, and what is bullying. Okay. And understanding those three relationship dyma- dynamics is really difficult for staff sometimes because yeah, is yeah. it that someone's been oversensitive that they can't take a joke? Is it that the joke has gone too far? Or actually, do we have a group who are intentionally seeking to hurt someone constantly? And that interplay between those three makes it very difficult for teachers sometimes to feel confident unless we have that clarity of definition to say this is what bullying is and this is how we will respond. On the whole, though, I think staff are confident in dealing with things that from my research particularly looking at restorative approaches in schools because mm. they tend to focus much more on the relationship dynamic okay, yeah. one of the challenges with staff though is particularly around social media and if you're going back into that punitive system you have to investigate who said what when and that presents a particular challenge because you spend so much time investigating that you spend very little time on saying what's the actual intervention yeah yeah and what the, i mean you talked about restorative approaches and I mean, that is at the moment seen as quite oppositional to sort of a punitive approach. People, are, people tend to see them in slight isolation in terms of, you know, we've sanctioned this behaviour because we've found out what happened and they now know it's wrong. And then there's a restorative approach that says, hang on, there probably isn't, well, potentially not a wrong or right answer here. We need to find out what the issue is and, and explore that. With bullying, which one is more prevalent, do you think, in schools? I think definitely the punitive response. Mm. Um, And I think in part, it goes back to that's the default position. So it's not like they're equal initiatives. Mm -hmm. Um, So the default position for most schools is we're in a punitive state and then we've moved on to some kind of restorative journey. Um, What my research has shown is, particularly in the schools that I've worked with in the north of England, is that where a restorative approach is being used, one of the most interesting things that I didn't expect to find was there was very little evidence of a snitch culture. Okay. Um, that pupils felt much more willing to talk about incidences and much more willing to say it's okay to talk to a member of staff because it's going to be solved. Whereas in the schools that were kind of, how can I put it, much more hybrid model, so we're a bit restorative but we're also a bit punitive, that snitched cultural being labelled a snake, whatever it is, um, was really strong. And it was strong not just in terms of you're getting somebody into trouble, Mm. but also my friends will think I'm disloyal. Oh, I see. If I tell. So again, sometimes the punitive model works really well because it means that staff don't have to deal with stuff because pupils aren't going to tell you anyway. So you can think that it's kind of a false positive. The fact that we've got it means we don't have incidences, whereas you probably do have incidences, but no one wants to tell staff. And you've mentioned before that you've you've worked in the prison system as well, the youth fending system, sorry. Is is um, is there that culture in sort of... (laughs) Under, under a microscope there because of the, the sort of gang-related stuff entry in there that snitching is even more of an issue? Or, I mean, how are they dealing with it in, in such a close environment? Well, yeah, I think it's a massive challenge. And I think in terms of supporting the youth estate, 
around looking at violence in um, young offenders institutions. It's really, at the moment, the focus has been very much on we just need to monitor the perpetrator because, of course, they're living together yeah. in such close proximity. But my challenge has been constantly, but what about the individual who's being targeted? What support is in place for them? And what you tend to get is where you have a, and it is a really punitive system there, mm. um, where you get the, to the point where, for example, John has been harming Luke constantly, and we say, right, we're going to take away stuff, we'll put in lots of sanctions. The final one, you can't exclude you, so we'll put you in segregation. The challenge that I've had to pose constantly is, if you get young people to a point where they have nothing left to buy into, where can they come back from? Mm. So you will be even worse because we've done everything we can to you, and there's nothing more we can. So mm. you have no reason to buy into the community. So again, this is things where relationship building, culture change, restorative approaches becomes really powerful because what we're actually saying is relationships matter. Mm. And because you're going to be living together, you've got to find ways to coexist. How you coexist is a, a discussion to be had. Um, so it's really important to recognise within that prison setting, that relationship element is absolutely essential. Schools do this, I think, very naturally, mm. um, whereas that's not necessarily the case in prisons. So schools are, s are slightly, schools know the right, the right path to take, essentially, but sometimes that might get misconstrued by a whole school policy or, or you think you're doing it because you've got a whole school policy whereas actually the reality you're seeing is, is slightly different. Yeah, absolutely and one of the things that's come from my research and this applies as much to the youth estate as to schools is that if you only focus on the negative so if you have no bullying, bullying is bad, you know big circle with a fist for it kind yeah. of thing what you're actually doing is running the risk of promoting violence or promoting bullying because yeah. what are you really saying this isn't a safe place yeah. so one of the challenges that's come out from the research is saying for those schools that are developing restorative approaches their shift seems to be much more on the relationships and how we have those as healthy relationships mm. and respond to damage done rather than the focus on the violence and the negativity that comes with that. So that's a, a tentative finding that's coming out in terms of that journey in yeah. from implementation to sustainability. You have to focus on much more what you're trying to promote as a community rather than simply address the initial issue, whatever that might be, such as bullying or cyberbullying. I see. So instead of having like a big, a big display board of anti-bullying policies and, you know, big whole school assemblies about this is how we tackle bullying, perhaps that board should be this is a this is what a healthy relationship looks like. And your and your um, assembly might be this is this is a healthy relationship scenario. This is an unhealthy relationship scenario. This is what we this is how we get from one to the other. Absolutely. Because what you want to do is say to pupils, ultimately, is if you experience this, whether as perpetrators or targets, what does it look like after that? Mm. Because once you get locked into that dynamic, that becomes your day-to-day -day existence, you know, whether you're on the receiving end or the person who's perpetrating the behaviour. So it's how does school say, right, regardless of what harms occurred, how do we move to something much more healthy? And that's where we want you to be because the benefits of that are really important. We know from previous research around bullying that not only does it impact in terms of emotional health and well-being, mental health, but also long-term. And I think this is one of the things that if you're with people for five years, um, you can tend to forget that once they leave you, that experience, and there was some research, I think it was by King's College, which tracked people 50 years later, said that they were less likely to engage with other institutions, less likely to form healthy relationships, less likely to report incidents to the police, all from that yeah. experience of bullying. So this is why it's such a fascinating topic for me, because if we get it right, we can really intervene in a positive way for a very long time. If we get it wrong, the research has already shown how detrimental this could be. 
And do you, have you seen this positive model, relationship model in action? And how easy is it to, you know, d does it take a length of time to get that culture shift from buy-in from staff, from students, from parents? So, you know, we're saying, okay, you know, if you report bullying to us, we're not going to have a punitive discussion anymore to the parents. I mean, that might be quite hard for a parent mm. to say, you know, that child's not going to get excluded for five days for doing this behaviour. We're going to have a restorative chat. You're, you're welcome. Their mm. parents are coming. I mean, that, that's a shift, right? But it's difficult. It's, it's difficult. Uh, that, this is why I'm researched it, because yeah. it's not easy. Um, I think, what again, what I was saying, the schools that I think are probably the strongest in terms of their restorative journeys, when I interviewed the parents, what was really interesting was from both sides, parents were saying that my fear that something would happen to my child, I was reassured because of the way in which the school has such a strong focus on relationships. But also one parent gave the example of their child actually getting into trouble. And they said based on their own experiences, they were worried like, are they gonna get excluded? You know, all of these things were brought up for them. But they said because the school handled it restoratively, that also reassured them that they weren't, their child wasn't gonna be labeled for the rest of the time in that school. Um, which was, again, it was a really interesting um, discussion focus group with these parents, but you could see the anxiety of parents is often based on their own experiences of school, whereas if a school is really committed to these kind of restorative approaches, what comes out is that actually you're reassuring me that the experience that I had in my own childhood aren't necessarily going to be duplicated or repeated for my child. And I thought that was really powerful, whereas in one of the school, other schools that wasn't so far along in its journey, um, what came out was the parents saying that, one parent in particular was saying that what I really liked about the fact that my child had gone through a restorative meeting was she doesn't talk to me. So we don't have a particularly good relationship, but I know that she has a very good relationship with staff in the school. I see, yeah. So when the incident happened, I know that even if she doesn't come to me, there's someone she can come to and that's going to happen that someone's going to address that. And that, reassure, that was a reassuring thing for that particular parent. Whereas if we just say it's up to parents and draw those hard boundaries in a punitive system of your child's now being suspended, excluded, etc., then that relationship isn't there. But it's, the thing is, it's a lot faster. You don't have to spend so much yeah, time yeah. doing that. I guess there's something interesting in what you were just saying there is the, the creation of a victim in terms of the bullied person there's a risk isn't there in a punitive system where they become the bullied kid exactly and you know they become typecast almost as that in, in the school environment well i have changed my language dramatically after very early on i was in a prue where i said to this boy you know you've been the victim of bullying and he almost jumped up and punched me in the face okay <laughs> and and what i realized was i've just said to him you're the least powerful person mm. in this school right now yeah and so I don't ever use the word victim anymore. It's always the target, because if you use the word target, what you're saying is, who's doing the targeting? How do we support that person? So I'm really quite ad like precious about the use of the word target rather than victim, because we run the risk of A, disempowering young people and mm -hmm. saying, well, once you've bought into that victim narrative, how do you escape it? I was gonna say, yeah. But also importantly, for staff, it's about recognising that it's about the harm, not labelling that individual as someone who is always going to be a victim. I recognise that there's vulnerabilities that go beyond this, but the language is really important. And I think that language, in my experience anyway, is interesting because victims of bullying is such a common phrase, right? And as you say, how, how if you're labelled the victim of bullying, do you, you know, at such a susceptible age as well, you, you internalise that description of yourself? And I guess that can lead to you becoming more likely to be bullied as such? Well, I think it can go one of two ways. You can either be, once you're known as a victim, 
And so, again, I'm drawing on my experience in prisons recently. Once you're known as a victim, it means that other people who might not be top of the tree can then go, right, there's someone lower than me that I can now target to get a bit of kudos. Um, But also, I think from the perspective of, what is it, the person who might be being the victim, and I I cringe even saying that word, um, what's the story you start telling yourself then that I'm not capable of self-help I'm not able to find solutions for myself Mm. and I think that's a real risk and this is why again punitive systems they worry me immensely because where is the support for those people who have been targeted if you focus only on dealing with perpetrators I guess you've taken away their ability to help themselves and I'm by no way advocating a system where bullying sorted out by itself but I guess if you're just saying here's the punishment done we're moving on that that target uh, of the bullying has been robbed of an opportunity to create coping mechanisms and address directly the the perpetrator of that action. I mean, absolutely. And also, I think even if even if we don't meet, just the fact that you've actually sat down with me, asked me what are my feelings, what are my solutions to this problem, suddenly I'm invested again, mm. rather than simply being a passive um, recipient of a punitive system. So. You know, I see this again, you know, with, what is it, particularly with around youth crime, that a lot of young people who are involved in youth crime have actually been targets or victims in the classical sense of a victim of crime. Mm. Um, but there's no support for young people. So then where do I go? I have to find either ways to defend myself, um, remove myself from those situations so I can't go to youth clubs, sports clubs. I stay within a locality. Or I have to, you know, find other people who will protect me. So again, if that's happening outside of schools, one of the things schools can do is say, when we know the incidents of conflict and bullying occur, how do we empower those young people who are on the receiving end Mm. to have a sense of self, a sense of contribution and that ability that they can solve problems themselves so that they're not locked into such narrow labels. So, and again, the young people that I interviewed were very clear that bullying has its challenges and sometimes you know you might feel like you need to respond like aggressively Mm. Um, and there was one bit where they were saying if it's two popular kids well then they should have a fight (laughs) because it's it's not clear who's going to win whereas if you're not popular and you're against someone popular um, then there's no point fighting because it's not going to improve your standing at all like it's quite interesting their their logic sometimes and I guess they're, they're, those social dynamics in schools, uh, uh, the power imbalance you're talking about and the hierarchy, the social hierarchy as such, I mean, that adds an extra layer of complexity to any restorative conversation, I imagine, in that if you are dealing with uh, a, a child who might be lower down the social hierarchy and uh, one at the top, and the one at the top doesn't see as many consequences of mm. either being uh, outed as a bully or such or, or from any, you know, or from doing the bullying, Whereas the young, the the less person low down in the hierarchy has, has got a lot to lose, right? Mm. So, is that does that have to be part of the restorative process in the sense that the teacher has to be aware of those social hierarchies? Absolutely, because, th- and this is why an inset isn't going to do it because yeah. staff know th- the dynamics that play out in their classrooms, in their playgrounds, and in their tutor groups, and so it's about saying it's not my role necessarily to advocate for that less powerful, less popular people but what do we need to do to adapt the process so that that person feels that there is a greater equality and part of that equality is making sure that the process is even on both sides Mm -hmm. as well so it's no point me asking you a whole set of questions and then asking a pupil who might be the target a slightly different set of questions because already 
you're starting to think, well, I didn't have to answer that question. So, you know, what does that mean for me? Yeah. So this is why clarity of process is absolutely essential. And I think that's what restorative approaches tends to do. It gives a structured conversation to the response to conflict, but it doesn't mitigate staff's skills in facilitating that conversation. I guess, so what you're saying really is that you almost have a template conversation, structural conversation, so that both people, even if they're not in the same room, know that they're having the same the same process, they ask the same questions and, 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 and as such. But do you find in your research that the bully tends, because the sort of common assumption is that the bully only bullies for a reason, i.e. There's, there's problems, they feel insecure, or um, there's a history of bullying of them somewhere along the line, be it at home or in a different environment. Is there a case where you sort of insinuated it a bit, I guess, where it's it's actually just about social climbing bullying, or is it a mix? It's always going to be a mix. Yeah. Um, that's you know classic research answer there. Yeah. Um, but I think there's also a third component to that. So yes, you may have young people who've been given violent strategies from the home um, that are successful in keeping them safe. Mm-hmm. So they adopt them in school. Yes, you've got another group of young people who are looking for status within the peer group and one way to do that is to try and impose themselves and create a sense of dominance over others but there's also a third aspect which i think is interesting to explore which is around how schools actually create a climate where bullying becomes much more acceptable particularly if you've got strong hierarchy shouty staff really aggressive staff what you're already doing is role modeling there who has the most influence and who has the most power so then don't be surprised if it's replicated within your pupil population, because what they're doing is mirroring the structures that are already existent in the schools. And that's nothing to do with um, personalities or peer groups. That's about how adults create culture. How interesting. And I guess the final question then is, um, you, you, you're doing lots of research in this area. Are you, I mean, do you see a future where bullying is, is eradicated? Or is it always gonna be about managing the problem? Is it how best we can manage bullying because bullying is a, is a naturally occurring phenomenon in, in society. I mean, it's a, it's a big question. I apologise yeah. for a final question. <laughs> but in terms of sort of your, your, you know, your end goal in here, is your aim not to try and help schools eradicate it, but to deal better with it, if you like? Um, I think what my research is really looking at is what makes the, a successful anti-violence initiative like restorative approaches Um, sustainable in the long term so that knowledge isn't lost Mm. and I think that's where for me the interesting challenge is because schools are in themselves constantly in change and so how do you keep the best of what you know works but also modify so one of the things that's coming out from my own research is this tension between the creativity of schools in being able to respond to new challenges but also the institutionalization of initiatives where they become so structured that almost the young people then know what to say because they've experienced it over the last four or five years mm. so th- at that point they start to pay a bit more lip service to it so it needs to be reinvigorated at that point so i think there is this challenge for schools in terms of this tension between creativity and structure and how you strike that balance An issue with bullying is always going to present new problems. So one of the things that really concerns me at the moment is around, it's not necessarily a new problem, is the issue around social isolation and when young people are being deliberately left out Mm. of things. And I think pupils themselves find that very hard to understand because bullying is often the action rather than the act of not acting. So the fact that John doesn't include me, make sure that other people don't include me in lessons, games, etc. Um, that becomes really hard for schools to understand. And again, a punitive system isn't brilliant 
at responding to that. So the challenge for schools is, I guess, really in answer to your question, is how they continue to be creative, how they are supported in that creativity. And I think that leads into what is it that DfE and Ofsted need to think about when they're setting policy or looking at their inspection frameworks about how well schools are creatively responding to some of these new challenges and also that schools are given the opportunity to take those risks rather than kind of rely on default safe things that might not produce any particular benefits but the process is so well established that we're not going to change it. Thank you very much. That was a great discussion. Cheers. Thank you.